This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the uh, Guna Talk back again with you guys after an exhausted couple of hours. I really genuinely, I, I could barely get through the intro there because I'm so exhausted with the last 48 hours, um, <laughs> as I'm sure plenty of you guys are. But we're going to be here for the next hour or so having a chat uh, with a very, very special guest. Uh, it's Deluded Guna. How you doing, mate? Are you well? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me, Tom, man. Thanks for having me. You're killing me with your intro, man. You're putting a bit of humour behind something that is very serious, man. I appreciate it. It's the only way I know how, mate. It's the only way I know how. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I can't lie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of serious stuff we're going to get into, but as we kind of mm. talked about this the other day, that these last 48 hours, if anything, have told us that, and even, I'm, I mean, you, me and yourself, content creators, putting out a lot of content daily, there's times where you need an escape. You need to have something beyond just football to to keep you going outside of things because it's been a really kind of stressful period. I mean, just now, obviously, we know that it seems like it's not happening, but I'm really interested to get kind of your initial reaction to when it happens. Like when it broke that Arsenal were going to be one of these 12 founding clubs, what was your initial kind of feelings around the whole thing? Uh, well, where do I start, Tom? First and foremost, vested self-interest for obvious reasons um, that all these clubs made. I would say it looked like a way of Arsenal to, to, I call it, cheaply right the wrongs that we have been doing. You know, the best way to be among Europe's elite, as you know, we could sit here and talk about the many things we need to do off and on the field to, to make us that. I felt it was a cheap way with that. I felt it was a way to earn riches, which we didn't deserve. I think it was a way to exploit our brand and just further be complacent, like you said, like you already know. Oh, three three point something billion just for being in the tournament it doesn't spell good I did think a lot of these top six teams it was just kind of cap it was a bit of a front and we kind of saw what would kind of happen and that it wouldn't be a thing I didn't think it would go this far but it has so one has to wonder why have, for me anyways why have they suddenly cut out you know is it because of morally they've realized it's wrong Personally, I hope so. I don't, I can't quite give that to them. Everything is calculated in the same way. They didn't just wake up on Sunday and say, we're doing this. They've known about this for months and weeks and whatnot. They're not just going to leave. So I, I'm keen to see the fallout because I think everybody's acting like this is a win and it is a small win. But UEFA, you know, it's good for Gary Neville and these guys to sit there and say it's a win for football. It's not a win for football. It's just the devil we know versus the devil we don't know. So it's a joke, really, Tom, man. Yeah, I mean, Lawrence McKenna used the words "bad guys against bad guys." There's, there is no the only good guys in this is is us, the fans, and obviously we're the ones that are taken for granted every single week, every single match day. Uh, it it does feel like a victory in my eyes still, like, and I feel like I've been proven wrong in a, in a sense as well because I tweeted out last night and I said that look, I'm going to hold my hands up here. I, I genuinely believed, and the world would make me kind of believe that we really didn't have any power. That us as fans. Same could not have this amount of impact. It didn't matter what we said, did, tweeted, published, put videos out, whatever. 100%. The money talks and it would still go ahead. So it's, it is crazy to me. I get the idea around, I, I completely respect the, the opinion of it, of it being a small victory because obviously we're going to the devil we know, as you fantastically put. 
But it does feel like a win in the sense that we as fans have had an impact. We've made change. And if anything, this could then spark further movements, not just, and obviously the big kind of uh, bogeyman in this is is Kroenke. Um, but also we look at UEFA, we look at FIFA, we look at the broadcasting companies of Sky and BT that have really kind of milked fans of their money oh, for streaming man. services. Yeah. Exactly. So do you think this could be maybe a stepping off point or a real push to give fans that added momentum that we needed to really get kind of power and, and a little bit of respect back in the game? Like you said, man, I was down in the dumps. I thought, well, it's me, you know, it's a dictatorship. We're just going to have to live with it. But the small guys, when we're collectively together, we have a voice. And I hope fans, because let's be real, Arsenal fans, for a bunch of footballing reasons, a bunch of non-footballing reasons, are quite typically divided. If we come together, if everyone can put their own egos, we can make a change. And, I, you know, not just Arsenal, every club that's involved, we can make a change. But what we need to do, and I don't have the answers, we, we need to take it from just being a hashtag or a trending movement and take that energy and realise it to, to put it towards something physical that they see. My only, apart from fans, I feel sorry for the players actually because don't get it twisted, Arsenal fans, Arsenal players deserve the booze and, and whatever from a footballing point of view. But they're the only, they're the ones that would have to bear the brunt if fans were allowed in the stadiums the same way as the, the manager. So, Changes can happen, but we need to take our energy and pull it towards something tangible, something that's that's on the face for them to see every day. And we can't let up because a week's a long time in football. A week from now, football's back on. We might forget about it sort of thing. Like many people, we've all been banging on about the Cronkay stuff. And I'm sure at sometimes you might have been called a negative nanny and whatnot because the team might be doing well, but you're talking about the collective. We mm -hmm. need to keep that same energy regardless so they never have any doubt what we truly feel. And until that happens... I can't really see much changing, but, you know, you're hearing Glazers are going, John Henry's on, on strings, he's out here giving interviews, Kronk ain't doing anything, so he's a tougher nut to crack, really. Yeah. It's, do you expect to... Do you, I mean, it's a silly... I mean, it's probably a silly question, but, I mean, are you expecting... I mean, you've seen John Henry come out and put out a video. We were the only club initially in the statements last night that actually apologised to the fans, which I know that it's a case we've had the wall pull over our eyes so many times now but in a sense that did fill me with a little bit of okay you know fair play you've, you've actually apologized to the supporters something the other five clubs didn't do but you do you expect any change do you expect any difference from from the the ownership to come out and say anything specifically um, no, because they haven't, you know, even when it was announced, Arsenal and Spurs, they hid behind Real Madrid and Perez primarily and these other teams. So I can't see it. What's really going to change? Like we can huff and I mean, in terms of Stan Kroenke, because he's on the other side of the world, essentially, he can make all this, all, we can make all the noise, but isn't going to affect him. You know, the Vinays, the Edus, the, you know, even Arteta and the players, they're the ones that's going to have to deal with this fallout. We've got a silent owner. He doesn't care. So I, I don't think we're going to see anything from him. You might see his son come out and speak. And I mean, his son would speak. I, I would have liked to have seen Josh because he speaks about caring. Some people even fell for the set, the fake, the, the, the facade of him caring. So, yeah, like it's, you know, not to not to put you on the sins of your dad, but that's your last name. No matter what you say to me, I'm sorry, but I can't condone it. So that's where I'm at, man. And the statement, I don't buy the sorry personally. I think it's, you know... They said when they, it was very PRE, it was very, you know, we know we've done wrong again. This club is very calculated. Everyone that makes these decisions is calculated. So you knew there was going to be a backlash. Maybe you didn't expect it to this level, which for me simply tells you where we're at as football fans and where they're at, that they couldn't foresee this. And yeah, man, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, we were hearing earlier on in the day yesterday that um, obviously that they expected a backlash and that it was going to continue anyway, but clearly they didn't expect the level of backlash that they got, mm. the protest that we saw. I mean, amazing scenes at Stamford Bridge yesterday with Petr Cech confronting the, the supporters trying to get the team busing was incredible. Uh, and you could hear him saying, like, we're trying to sort things, um, which in itself, you already said, it had already been crazy. I, I felt really bad for the guy. <laughs> like, like, Why is he having to deal with that? Like, that's yeah. for Roman and people that actually make it, not Peter Cech. I felt sorry for him, man, yeah. and everyone. Yeah. And, and there was a lot of Chelsea fans giving a lot of abuse to Petr Cech, and I understand the anger. We get that. We really do. But it wasn't down to him. And we have our own reservations around Petr Cech for stuff that went on and then leaving us and going back to Chelsea in the way that that happened right after the Europa League final. But th these players, these, these people that are there aren't for me the, the targets. Although saying that, I did want to kind of ask you around beyond Kroenke, because you look at Ed Woodward at Manchester United, was heavily involved in this as well. Vinay Ven Katesham left the ECA board, so he was on the ECA board, and he left it, so he's 
part of that. So do you think that he himself is is a target, is someone that Arsenal fans should be looking to say, look, you, you were on board with this and now we need to... Because the players and the manager, as we've been told, had absolutely no idea this was, was going down. So do you think he has to take some flack as well? I mean, that's why these lot are in there. Don't get it twisted. As much as I'm a footballing man, clearly more than I'm a you know mathematician and things, I recognise you need those people within the sides. Where I, I kind of kind of rein it in about Vinay because as much as I might criticise him, he's just simply a puppet. You know, he might have. You know, I don't. My initial thought is that the American owners they wanted to do this, and these lot simply had to do their bidding. But he could have collaborated a dossier and and you know gave it to Kronke, for example, and said this is the reasons for it. Either way, I, listen, Vinay just. I, I've probably Vinay has to hold his hands up just like Woodward and his J JP Morgan's friends but for me it's just Cronkay because as much as I think Vinay has to hold a lot of fret and um, flack like all of them it's them owners bidding so it's like I find it a bit misplaced and again to a degree as I'm not defending Vinay at all but when you know you hear what he's done you hear what we're talking about the fact that there was an an AST or an AGM or whatever to do with the fans he is the guy that's going to be at the forefront so I can't really blame him because he's just simply a puppet. I can I can criticize him, I can question his morals and his values and his and his bidding, but at the same time, he's an employee of the club, and that's what yeah. he's kind of paid to do, act within whatever is the best interest. So it's kind of misplaced, but he deserves a lot of the heat as well. It, it doesn't make sense, but for some reason, I, I'm more heavy on bashing with Woodward in, in that regards to that then then Vinay that I don't know why that makes sense I don't know if well, I think is. he was one of the leaders weren't him and Liverpool yeah. Man United and Liverpool were kind of this I mean this came out in October we remember the articles that were released in October that Liverpool and Man United were kind of spearheading this and that we're going to try and get teams on board and at that time I think maybe in itself there was a bit of backlash back then like people were like but because it wasn't happening yet until we hadn't reached that tipping off point there wasn't enough of a backlash so maybe that gave those clubs a full sense of security in October to make them think well that we've actually not seen too much of a, a criticism of this yet um and so we'll go for it but we're seeing now like Agnelli coming out and saying that they're having to pull out it can't go ahead without the English clubs but let's talk a little bit about kind of the the other side the devil we know uh if we do because obviously yeah. this does mean that UEFA has won um Seferin uh came out yesterday and in his obviously the the UEFA Congress uh Gianni Infantino was there as well I, watch, I was watching along uh with the live stream whilst working and it, it was mad to see kind of, uh, in a way, him to not be... I know he was angry and he was calling like Agnelli and, and Woodward snakes, like very clearly, but he gave the teams an olive branch yesterday. He said, look, everyone makes mistakes and we know that you've made a mistake and we think that you've made a mistake. And he was basically saying, we know that you probably think now you've made a mistake. So we're giving you this olive branch. We can welcome you back. He welcomed Manchester City back when they were the first team to to back out yesterday publicly. So, but there's this element of, as you said earlier, the devil we know. And now we've got this revamped Champions League plan that's going to be coming into place in 2024, which ironically is a league model mm -hmm. initially before then going to a More knockout stage. <laughs> yeah, so some people might say it's the same thing. The big key difference, obviously, that anyone can qualify through the normal reasons that we, we see today. The only issue is, is the expansion of it from 32 to 36 teams the qualification reasons for those extra teams, there was talk of maybe historical merit taking place in that. There's also the irony that Gianni Infantino, as Filippo Clare tweeted yesterday, is trying to get an African Super League going without relegation and promotion in it as well. So, I mean, they're all, they're, it's all hypocrisy, isn't it? So what do you make of the whole UEFA side of things? Bro, the way you said it, there's not really a damn thing I can say. I mean, anybody listening with half a brain can work out, you know, it's there's no honour among thieves. Everybody, they're all thieves and they're complaining that, you know, they were stealing with each other. Now they're stealing from each other. All this is highlighted is everybody's vested interest. Sky Sports, BT, all of them. They've all got several ways of showing their immorals, whether it was raising ticket prices, um, um, TV prices during COVID, raising ticket prices, you know, actually taking Champions League off free platforms initially in BT's case. It's it's all vested interests. And like you said, the tournament, bar the occasional differences, it's the same thing. So this tells me that the clubs were always bluffing. They do want change from UEFA for whatever reason. UEFA want change. And I'm not going to lie. The one thing I think with the Super League, some of the things in isolation, if you could pit, penny pinch a bit of them and add them towards a, what, what, you, what you'd want in the Champions League, I don't think it necessarily be a bad thing. I do think clubs have a brand. They have, they have every right to demand more cash and a more of a slice of the pie. But the way they've gone about it, 
right is completely wrong and like you said this is the devil we know many people are complacent saying that this is a victory it's not a victory because you wait for have a free run at this this could have been not that i'm saying it is but the best thing that could have happened with this if there is anything is that you wait for finally have someone that can stand up to them there's finally someone they have to answer to you know and like you made the the, the, the um point with a lot of fifa people involved it, it's almost a bit ironic like boris fucking johnson pardon my language is speaking about <laughs> corruption of things like this that is it's an absolute joke you know your wafer needs to change would there be any pressure on UEFA? because at the end of the day we all probably know this was a game of chicken but they've got what they've wanted the big boys are staying they've got whatever they want to introduce in the future like you said there's going to be historical merit and i see some tweets um tweeting about in theory the way it was put i can't remember but united could finish sixth west ham could finish fifth um, you know, we could be awarded an extra Champions League place and it would go to Manchester United. So it's, it's two birds of the same feather. You know, we're just going with UEFA with what we've known historically and things like that. We're not going to we're not going to really see change, man. You know, they're never going to change. They've, they've got several ways of showing what they're on. So the devil that we know and the devil that we're in bed with scares me and we need to turn our attention away from the euphoricness because this isn't a thing and, and really shining your lights on your way from and their practices, in my opinion, Tom. And that's going to become really difficult to do because that's obviously like super, the Super League was a change. It was a new initiative. It was something that was going to completely change the dynamic of the support as we know it and, and into a very, very clear and obvious worse generation, a worse situation for the footballing pyramid across the world, not just yeah. in the UK, but across Europe and further as well, because it would have expanded, we can imagine, to let include these these kind of international teams also. Um, the thing with this is it's, it's, it's under a banner of a name under the Champions League that we already know, which obviously tells people that, oh, it kind of fools people in a way and thinking, oh, we're just tweaking the Champions League, which this Super League was completely different. And actually, there is a lot of differences going on here. I don't mind necessarily the Swiss League model. I think it's yeah. in terms of how the, the Champions League being revamped, taken away group stages going into the a Swiss League. That doesn't really concern me. It does come down to the merit of how you qualify for the competition being the main thing. Right ultimately because I mean you look at group stages teams like Man United in this Champions League went out because they had a bad run of games in the group stage I mean they played three home games three away games they're actually going to be playing less games um, sorry they're actually going to be playing a different amount of games when it comes down to the Swiss League with five home games or five away games I don't know if it's against the same teams I don't think it is I think it just comes down to kind of seedings in yeah. regards to who you play so you play more kind of the group game or the league games, but then it goes into the Champions League knockouts as we already know it. Maybe it gives more of an opportunity for the bigger teams to kind of, you know, pick up consistency and finish further higher up the table. We won't see as maybe as many shocks, but the whole issue for me is going to be coming down to the qualification of the extra four teams that are being put into this competition. Also, the money that's going to be involved, the openness for any corruption that can be included in this as well. It's... We won't know really until it takes effect, but what we already do know is that UEFA is king right now, along with FIFA, because they've won this battle. But now I want to focus on Arsenal more specifically, because we've still got a season, believe it or not. I mean, if, I, I didn't even realise there was a game last night. It was yeah. so chaotic. It was ridiculous. I was, hold on, Chelsea dropped points. Yeah, like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even know myself, my guy. I had no yeah. clue. I watched the highlights. I had no clue. It tells you where we're at with, with football right now. It's more excitement than deadline day, to be fair. It, yeah, it was. I mean, the last 40 hours is the, the biggest thing in football I've ever seen in my lifetime, with, without a doubt. And and now we've got a situation where the league is, is in a very difficult place for for Arsenal, of course. If we'd have beaten Fulham and then we had the chance to beat Everton, we would have gone above them with a game played more and it might have looked a little bit more healthy. Those two drop points against Fulham were really damaging. And we've got this Europa League situation as well. But we'll talk about the gameplay specifically in a bit, but I want to talk about kind of the mental side of it for the clubs like Villarreal, who we're going to play against in the semi-final. You've already got the narrative of Unai Emery there. You've got the other teams in the Premier League going to play against that weren't included. Do you think now this makes the season even harder for Arsenal because they've got kind of this mental edge of kind of getting revenge in a way against Arsenal and any of the other big six teams? Do you think that mentality is going to be there? I mean, for obvious reasons, and, you know, Arsenal on the best of days should be able to block these things out, as you know, Tom. But at the same time, this is where I'm I'm, I'm vexed about Kroenke because the players have been... Not that our season has been anything to write home about, but they've been robbed of any little support or any sort of anything that they've had. Because now, like I said, if, if fans return, they're a beacon of hate. 
everybody wants to, uh, you know, look at Leeds versus Liverpool. Everybody yeah. wanted Liverpool to lose. Everybody's right. now going to want Arsenal to lose, if not for the players, for who owns this club. And that's not fair on the players. Also, it, it threatens to derail their season because the players don't want it. You know, look at Bukayo Saka. The man's 18, 19. He's seen threats of not being able to play in, if, if because of Arsenal, which he has no decision, he might not even have been able to play in the Euros and things. For an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, where we all dreamed of doing that, it's a mockery. So I do think it's a problem. And also it's a bit of a, a bit of a kick in the teeth because regardless of how poor our season has been, they're professional footballers. They want to work for something. And, you know, to get that far and knowing that everyone's against you, like you said, Una Emre, Villarreal, you know, his, his ex-Arsenal ties. Everybody wants a, a, a giant killing, if you could say we're giants. Everybody wants us to go out. So it's not going to help the players, you know. It's really not going to help the players. And this is one thing where... I'm actually happy that the fans aren't there because, you know, just from a sporting point of view, it wouldn't have been nice at home for the for Arsenal. But definitely it won't be now. The only benefit that could have come from those things is that we make our messages loud, heard loud and clear in relation to the Cronkies. And at the same time, I do think that's a necessary evil. But as you know, Tom, that can become quite the toxic environment for players, especially players that without sounding insensitive, aren't the strongest mentally or don't appear the strongest mentally or the most strong-spirited and can be easily broken. So it's a bit of a shame, really, man. Yeah, it is. And I'm looking at the kind of the game against Villarreal. It was already going to be a difficult one mentally because of the situation of Emery. There's still a lot of players that obviously played under Emery that he knows their weaknesses. He knows the tactics that that they've been used to. And obviously, we've seen that change. You would have, We know this guy loves to study opponents and study the oppositions. He will know Arteta's play inside out, although sometimes we not, might not even think that Arteta knows what he's trying to do sometimes. Um, so it, it might be, be a little bit yeah. It could be. We, we don't know at this stage. But we've got, obviously... Now getting back to whatever normality is, um, mm. the the summer that comes up after this, and the way in which we're seeing about like ownerships and possibly sales. I saw a, a, a rumor going around that a club that had pulled out from the English leagues is already preparing to sell the club Fingers, because this, everything crossed. Oh, yeah, of course, everything crossed that it's us, and it is for me. The it was the end game. Like this has been in the works for a long, 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 long time. Uh, it was in the works like more than five years ago. They knew that this was the end goal. Discussions would have been going on behind the scenes with owners, and this was what they wanted to get to. It's failed, and the only and the only kind of guarantee that was with it was money, which would have removed that threat of never qualifying for the Champions League, which is what I think. And why we've seen a little bit more investment from Kroenke and, and the ownership to try and get back the club back into the Champions League to get that additional money that they desperately crave. That's, new, that's now not going to be guaranteed to them because we're sitting in ninth. We have to win the Europa League to get back into the Champions League next season, which in itself is, is a big, big ask considering I'd, I'd probably consider us much further second best behind Man United's form right, right. now anyway. Right. And probably Roma as well. <laughs> and we're pretty close to how we are performing as well. I mean, they had a great result of the weekend against Levante. So it it's going to be really tough for us to get there. So do you think there is any hope that with this end game of the owners failing, that they could look to maybe move on? I hope on everything they sell the club, man. I hope on everything. Like you said, and like I said earlier, you know, that whole, that positive complacency they were looking for and that they're always in this competition, you know. I'm sure many fans would hope that, in theory, if the Super League did go on and we have the luxury and the money that we might be able to sign quality players, you know. On the best of days, we've seen Kronke be complacent. So it was, ne it was never, ever going to change, really and truly. Um, in relation to if we have a chance or if there's any sort of change of them selling, all I can say is, play, you know, fans pressure, fans pressure, because at the same time, these lot are calculated. As you said earlier, they were probably, maybe not to this level, but they did expect some sort of heat or something. And to a degree, it probably will pass over. And as an Arsenal fan, we've been there. What we can do is keep it up so that they're never, ever forgotten whether Kronke is at the stadium, which he's not, or his his chums are reporting back to him exactly how we feel. You know, it's sad, but the players and, 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 the, and the manager, they're going to have to be part of this necessary evil, this toxic environment that needs to happen to get change they're going to have to be part of it we're going to need to make a real change and I'd say for Arsenal fans the key word is being consistent we've got a lot of energy but if you pull it in a football in terms if you're a midfielder you've got a lot of energy and you run around you're going to get tired you might not necessarily be using your things but if you're given a specific goal in that your energy can be used positively positively we can't stop this you know it has always been there but when we you know what 
a few months ago, we went on like three games in a in a in a row. Everything was good for us. We weren't really not that we didn't want Cronkay out. We weren't really on it like that. Suddenly, when we're woeful like us, the energy's there. I think our energy has to be consistent, not just us, but the Glazers, etc. In relation to an English club, I feel more likely to sell. I hope it's us, my guy. But for some reason, I just think it's the Liverpool one because he seem they seem like they're cracking. Like he's he's giving that interview and all of those sort of things. It seems like. I don't know if Kronke does or doesn't care. I think he doesn't care, but it's just he's out of sight, out of mind. I can scream and shout as much as I want, but he can turn it off, really. What you're hoping is that, what I'm hoping is that we make so much noise. His son, his advisors, his puppets around the club, they've got nothing but bad news to report to this guy. Again, I would have thought he would have sold it a long time ago. When you look at it from a business point of view, what reason does he have to sell? Because Arsenal, we might be failing off it, as you know better than me, Tom. One consistency is still footfall, still bums on seats, still these 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 shirts and these many innovative things. And he stands to make a lot of money when he does sell it. So I do mm. hope it gets him to sell. I do hope with that fallacy of the Super League, and maybe that was what his dream was, that it wouldn't be a thing. We all know not to... I'm very cautious about, you know, talking about American owners and things. You can see how it can go left very quickly. But very often, the minute these lot took, took charge of their respective clubs, they wanted to do this, you know. They would have made a North London derby in America. They wanted to do that. Yeah. So maybe seeing this fail, that means, you know, he's of this, you know, effort. Maybe he's seeing a race to the bottom. Maybe he doesn't even want to sell. But if he sees Henry or the Glazers or these other guys, it becomes a race to the bottom. But from what I get from Stan Kroenke, not to praise him, he does seem like when it comes to business, he keeps a cool head. So I'm not sure necessarily this backlash, at least at this moment in time, is going to affect him to change. You know, the pockets it where is where he needs to be hurt. And we have been losing money, but at the same time, we've actually been doing all right. And one thing with Arsenal, we stand, we st stood to benefit greatly from that Super League. And to a degree, when you see the news coming out on Twitter, based on these UEFA rules, and especially with this historic stuff, not that we've done anything in Europe, we probably stand to somehow benefit as well. So is yeah. he going to keep it moving? We all, we're all of the thoughts of, you know, they, they didn't get their role, but they must have considered this. Maybe this, like we said, this was all a mirage. They knew it was just a game of front in, a game of chicken that went too far. Maybe it was a means to the end. As I said, the scariest thing for me with these clubs, nothing is off the cuff. This is all calculated. All these variables are considered. So I don't really know what we're going to see. But what I hope is that the gloves are off now. There's no figureheads for Kronke to hide behind the Wengers, the Glazidas, these other things. You know, everyone can see it for what it is. And like I said, we just need consistent energy, my guy. Speaking hypothetically, then obviously, if, if a case happens whereby Cronky does sell up, the, the big name that obviously is involved in this is Dan Goatee, the, the, the African possible investor in this. Now, there's always a worry, and I had this worry when the Usmanov stuff was, was coming around. Um, that for me, in a way, it doesn't matter who's in charge because cash is king, and all that these guys will want at this level is to obviously try and make more money. Um, but is there now the hope that with the Super League idea in the mud, effectively, that whoever takes over this club is taking over the club in the knowledge that that idea is done, it's buried, gone, and that whatever you're going to do, you're going to have to take over a club that has to progress and try and get into the Champions League and win stuff in order to increase the financial revenue rather than it being guaranteed through a Super League concept. So I guess the question comes down in two parts is, if anyone was to take over, do you think now that gives them a, gives us as fans, I suppose, a more positive outlook on who that might be? And then the opposite of that being, does it actually matter who takes over? Because ultimately, these massive billionaires are only going to want to further the revenue of their selves rather than prioritise a progression of the club. Mm. You know, it's like it's what they say, you know, typically they say football is a losing man's game. Personally... I don't care if people want to make money. David Dean wanted to make money. He made a lot of money. The fact is he cared about the club. He wanted to push it in the right direction. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make cash and make buck. That's cool. Nobody's just going to, as much as they've got a passion for football, nobody's just going to join this for that sake of it. So if they want to make money, that's cool. But as you said, you know, I would like them to be a footballing man first. I would like them to almost treat this like Roman Abramovich to a slight degree, not to praise him in that it's a, it's somewhat a love child. It's a hobby. You're actually loving football. Again, I don't think we're going to have a fully perfect owner. You know, there's a lot to be said about billionaires ethically. Generally, you know, people, you know, Dan Gotti probably going to make a lot of promises, deliver on some, not deliver on, on another. You know, a lot of these might be empty promises. 
I don't really think it matters who the owner is, you know, because again, as much as we talk about Dan Gotti and things like that, you know, we don't really know the owners. It's one of the, it's like talking about money in football. It's one of these unnecessary things fans speak about. As long as they have Arsenal in the forefront, as long as they want to take us to the next level, why not? In relation to the Super League, I wouldn't say, I think it's dead, but I don't think them sort of proposals, those sort of twists are dead. And I don't think they necessarily should because we might actually come into a world where we're tired of UEFA and a new thing needs to start. So I don't think those things should go to bed. And if you're an owner of a club, you're always going to want to listen to how you can be pushed forward, how you can benefit. So I don't think you should necessarily shut up about that. I'm not too sure of who comes into this club, but it, like I always say, the, the, the owner's the shepherd. If you get an owner who, regardless of wanting to make money, cares about this club, as you said, wants to return us to the Champions League and acts according to and, and, and installs people in the club that, that reflect that, then who really cares, really? As long as you're acting ethically, who really cares really and truly we just have a silent owner who gives pr about being at games every now and again so we don't care like it is it is what it is if you got an owner who wants to make cash but he cares about the club no one gives a crap it's as simple as that in my opinion yeah. anyways no I, yeah you're 100 spot and you spoke so well there it, just about kind of how it doesn't anything could arguably be better than what we've got now because what we've got now is the floor it is the utter minimum it is what yeah, we've got a very rich owner. Yeah, we've seen a little bit of investment in transfers, but he's already used the famous quote of, I didn't buy Arsenal to win trophies. And that's always going to be branded. Me, yeah, it's going to be branded on that ownership as long right. as they are here. And it's not a recoverable position after that's being said. No matter how many times you tell the fans to be excited, you've ultimately got that rhetoric of saying, look, we're not here to win trophies. We're here to further the, the financial revenue of this team right. and for that money not necessarily to go into the club's playing staff, more so into their own pockets or to progress the team. in, in it right there, that's, And that's the problem that we've got and that's why it needs to change. We've, we, we have already touched upon kind of how we feel about fan power and if this means that things can change. There is supposedly a protest taking place um, at 6pm uh, on Friday, if you are going, fair play. Um, I mean, I personally have been someone that's it's been very mixed on protests, to be fair, um, and have very mixed views on them. And when the Wenger thing was going around, I think that was more down to the uh, the idea of, of Wenger and what he'd done for the club previously, and, and how I felt about a, a very vitriolic kind of backlash towards him. Towards the owners, though, it's been very different. But and my reasons for kind of doubting protests has, has basically been the reasons up until yesterday evening. My feeling of I didn't really feel like fans had any power. Yeah, and if anything, me. it made the image of the club look a little bit worse for not really any outcome. That turns out not to be true. And so that's why I've got the utmost of respect for everyone that does turn up for this. I would in right. encourage people to be, of course, during the situation that we are in, to be as safe as possible and try and keep your distance and wear masks, etc. Um because we are in a very difficult period and this has happened right. at a really awful time. Um, and I think also that's maybe led to the reasons why the Super League tried to break away during this period, because it's been easy. There's no fans. So they could get away with it. Yeah. Pull it under, the, put the walls under our eyes and whatnot and just run away yeah. with it. Yeah. hundred percent. It's a big, big problem that we've hopefully now overcome, but it doesn't stop here. It keeps on pushing forwards. I do want to look a little bit more now onto the football pitch with yourself, because oh, believe it or not, as we've said already, there are games still to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got, we've got a big one on Friday in Everton. Oh, don't remind me, um, mate. It's, I was speaking to uh, Graham White yesterday, who is the uh, Premier League stadium announcer for Everton. He's a broadcaster and a journalist as well, and he felt like, it's the biggest game of Everton's season so far. It's a really weird comparative game because, of course, Ancelotti took wow. over. Yeah, because for them, it's a case of they could get into Europe for the first time in a long time. Arsenal are basically a benchmark for them in terms of they're looking to progress. Going above it, going above Arsenal is a, is a big point of kind of forward progression for them. And to see that progression in the same amount of time between Arteta taking over and Chalotti taking over at the same time, you see that difference. I think there's been more than just that with the signings that have been made and the kind of the way in which players have been able to stay fit and not in some other cases. But it is going to be a benchmark. It is going to be a CEO of where both teams have come. So how do you think this is going to affect this game from the Super League standpoint? How is it going to affect Everton's uh, kind of encouragement, momentum of trying to beat us. We saw Leeds very fired up for the game on Monday. Do you think that same effect is going to be going into this game? 
Naturally, of course, like you said, from a sporting point of view, you know, Everton have done well this season. They've obviously dropped a silly amount of points. So from a sporting point of view, we're at crunch time. And I'm sure Carlo Ancelotti, someone who's been there, done it, wore several T-shirts, will be praising that to the players. And I'm sure the players will be taking heat. Obviously, you're going to get a bit of energy, as we've been speaking about throughout this live stream of, you know, we're, pub we're one of the public enemies, number one. Everyone wants you to lose and things. I'm sure the players, you know, they're thinking, you are Arsenal. They're a bunch of pretenders. Not that the, the players are um, looking at their own players i think we're you know there's going to be a lot of that sort of stuff you're fully right in that regards for our players i hope there's a clear headspace because mentally from a sporting point of view we were fractured anyways but at this point moment in time i would if i was an arsenal player i'd be really questioning what the hell this club is about because not just this whole thing where they've showed their moles whether it's you know even i don't want to speak about the dreaded Mesut ozu but they didn't back him when he was speaking about you know marginalised groups ethically in certain countries. They didn't really react in a, in a positive way initially to Corona. We all know with the wage cuts, there's been many times Arsenal could have showed winning through harmony and the many values that this once club, once great club used to actually stand for and they're hiding behind it. So at that time, at that time, I do think it's going to affect them. The play, Our players mentally, I'm really scared for them because I don't think they deserve it. I don't think they deserve a lot of the heat. I think they're struggling to really understand what this club is about. You know, and again, on the best of days, we're quite shaky at home. So again, I do think we're going to suffer. I do think it's going to be a knock-on effect. I did, didn't think there'd be a way for us to get worse. But at the same time, this might provide clarity to us because you know the players if anything I hope that they know it's not us versus the versus them we're on to you lot for what you lot do from a sporting point of view and that's it yeah. in relation to this stuff we're not on to you so hopefully this can give them a positive win to know that again clubs are making it clear that it's not Arsenal versus the world it's, it's, it's football fans versus Kronke it's football fans versus John Henry so I hope this can give them something but it's fearful times man and I'm not really confident going into the Everton game just of how we've been playing really yeah, is that the the side of football's taken such a backseat recently, and the form of the club and the Fulham game, and obviously Lacazette getting injured, and then the oh, deal yeah. with who do we deal with going up front? Like that's that's in itself has taken such kind of a, a secondary fixture in people's minds recently. But we have got some really really big problems. Just before we go into a little bit more on the game, there's an interesting kind of question and, and point raised in the chat um, from Ruben. He says, "I mean, Bellerin was the only Arsenal player who spoke out." It's what not true, though. It's not true because Abamian spoke. Well, Abamian. Well, people will argue to play devil's advocate that he spoke out after it was basically announced um, that That's we were true. backing out, um, and Bellerin was one of the the only players who spoke up before anything was said about Arsenal backing out. So what? It was always for me. It was always going to be Bellerin. We know what he's like. We know his character and how he speaks out on a lot of topics. But it was still very, very late in the day. It was really, really after Arsenal had announced it themselves, and it was and supposedly. Despite Charles Watts uh, tweeting out that a meeting was meant to happen with Vinay, apparently there wasn't any meeting that went in the dark. Yeah, uh, I think it's James Olley that said that there was no meeting and the players were in the dark about everything that went on. They'd heard nothing from from the uh, all the guys up top, basically. So, but what do you make still about kind of the, the silence? I suppose we talk about silent stand, but what do you talk about the, the silence from the players during this period? I mean, naturally, and this is what I mean by the players are the, 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 the nearest thing fans can grab to in which identify the club or like can get us anywhere to the owners. And this is where yeah. I think the players fa face heat. Naturally, obviously, would have loved the footballers to condemn it, all these um, coaches to condemn it, which some have, few have. Um, but at the same time, I understand the silence because whether I agree with it, you're still, you're, you're as disillusioned. You know, you're still employed by the club, rightly or wrongly. You know, you have to think about the ramifications for speaking out about it. So I I have sympathy and it's a thing where really the players shouldn't have to speak about it. Like big up Jordan Henderson for what he did with the captains and all of those things, yeah. but they shouldn't have to do that. It should have been down to these clubs to come out and back it because like, like you said, they left yeah. them in the lurch. You, like you said at the beginning, they've known about this in October, you know, in the backdrop, they've been planning on this. Maybe that's been why Arsenal have been so complacent and then they've just thrown this out. They didn't even have the common decency to brief Mikel Arteta or these players and the same goes for the other clubs so that even if they have no clue, then there's a way to answer this. So how can you really speak? You know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you speak, that someone will find a problem. I respect Bellerin and Raheem Sterling for speaking up against it. But really, those who spoke before it, those that spoke against it, I'm not really praising or critiquing them because what can they say? They can all say, they, they all kind of indirectly condemn it, but it's a bit of a sticky one because they're still employed. You know, one thing I think we would have seen by players, and, I, and I, I'm starting to believe it more, 
I genuinely think they would have re maybe refused to play in this tournament when it does happen. I think yeah. they might have even prepared to, you know, sanction some of their wages and things. But we all know it, that wouldn't go. Some people would would welcome strike. Some people would say, yeah, maybe we should, you know, we should play and, and, and strike that way. It would be fractured. So I do applaud the players that did speak out. But at the same time, I, I don't think I'm going to condemn the players that haven't spoken out per se, because I don't think it's a thing for players to speak up against really and truly beyond the obvious. Yeah, well said. I, I I think that my mind was kind of a, maybe a little bit more open, but what you said there has certainly closed it to that idea of that. And I always kind of put it on the players because before knowing how much power fans had, for me, it was a case of they're the only ones that can stop this because they're the ones that have right. got to play in the tournament. They're the ones that have got to go ahead. And if anyone's going to really be able to hit the owners and, and tell them it's not going to happen, it's them. We did hear rumours about apparently Harry Maguire st start standing up to Ed Woodward at Manchester United. Yeah, massive shout out to him. And I'm not his biggest fan on a football field, but fair play to him as a person for, for doing that. And when it comes down to kind of what went on behind the scenes, we still don't know, really. So a lot of the stuff that happens and stuff could have been said that we don't know about for the manager, from the players, it could have been anything. So we can't really speculate too much on it. And obviously now I think everyone's just pleased that we are moving in the right direction, it seems, or rather not necessarily the right direction, but a less equal direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. However you want to describe it. Um, so then I want to talk to you about the striker position. You, yeah, you, looked, oh, a bit, you looked a bit shocked there when I reminded you about Lacazette not being there we don't know about Aubameyang's situation we can imagine he's not going to be there as well because of what he's dealing with uh health wise and Ketty is the guy that came on Balogun wasn't even on the bench on Sunday which I found hugely disappointing we have got other players like Martinelli that could arguably in a central role a lot of people have called for Nicholas Pepe to be given a chance in the central role because of his finishing ability so what what do you think Arteta's job needs to be and do you think Nketiah being the third choice supposed striker is the right choice or would you go elsewhere? Well, as for the right choice, I'm not sure, but I would be, if I had to make um, a money get, guest, you know, he's brought on Nketiah, fair play to Eddie for scoring. I know he caught a lot of heat for that, rightly or wrongly, but um, he likes Eddie. He always says, oh, I'm upset that I can't give him game time. To be fair to Eddie, whatever man say about him, you know, last season, he did keep Aubameyang and Lacazette out of the team, even for points this season, on merit or not, he's shown that. So Arteta will throw him in there. So I'm inclined to believe our, he's the natural choice. Again, I think people are running away with a lot of Balogun conclusions. I like the guy. I love him. But let's let him develop. Let's not proclaim him as this sort of messiah. And then when he struggles, these same people will turn on him. You know, I would like to see it. Let's be real. I always think there's something to play for in our season, naturally, for obvious reasons. But our season is dead and buried. What you can do is use this to give the young players opportunities. Give Balogun a couple of games away from the Europa. Let him get his feet wet. Let him see what the Premier League's really about. Do what you can, sort of thing. So I think the educated guess is Eddie. I would like to see Balogun involved definitely a bit more. For me, it would be Martinelli because, I listen, I think Martinelli's got the ability to be Alexis Sanchez, to play as a false nine, to play on the left and be strong on the left and also filling on the right. I think this is the chance to give him that because, again, we've got to see how good he really is with his back to goal. Um, you know, if he can't if he can't play short, can he make runs? I think it's the opportunity to give Martinelli game time. You know, it's the, it's the opportunity to really blood Martinelli, Saka, Smith-Rowe if fit and these sort of players and let them keep getting up their understanding. Martinelli would be it for me. I'm not too sure if... I don't think Arteta is going to do it. I think it'd be Eddie, but it would be Martinelli for me. For Bamian's fit, obviously it's a Bamian, but as you said, you know, he's battling malaria. He's probably not going to be physically able to play sort of thing. So mm. yeah, man, for me, it's Martinelli through the middle. It's crazy how our luck has affected us with that. I mean, at the time where Lacazette not only gets injured, our striker is, has contracted a, a disease which obviously is pretty exactly. unheard of in the UK and it's only going to happen through the means that going on international duty. It's, it is mental um, that that's happened to us. Right. Um, and we've now got situations with Tierney, of course, being out. I mean, what have you made at Granite Xhaka playing in this unorthodox role? I've, I've been okay with it. I mean, I know that we when I was on your channel a few weeks ago, we had a bit of a discussion about Xhaka and, and I know you've got your reservations about the guy, but what have what have you made about him at, at left back? Um, I like the thing is, people get me mixed up. I actually like Xhaka. I just don't think he should be a, a player. <laughs> so I said reservation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just, I just gotta be specific. But I like him. I just don't think he's starting quality. I do see what he misses in relation to left back. It's what we knew under Emery. Xhaka. One thing I give him is he'll do everything to the best of his ability. He'll try his best, and he's done quite well there. And he's not been tested yet defensively, and he's done well. 
obviously, I'm sure a lot of fans are probably waiting for when he plays a 1v1 demon and it highlights the flaws in that role. But it's worked so far. It's worked better than people thought. The problem is now for me, when you look at the Fulham game, like I understand Arteta not wanting to move, whether you play Saka as a 10 on the left or the right, we lose a lot creativity-wise. But I just think that Fulham game, whether you like Xhaka or not, I think it highlighted how much we kind of lose a lot in that midfield because I was kind of begging Arteta in that game. I, I know I don't want to move Saka, but Saka, can you do a job at left back? Put yeah. Xhaka in midfield, probably El Nene get clipped off and do something else along those lines. So I don't mind Xhaka against Everton. The way I expect them to play 1v1 demons and things, I don't think it is a game for that. I would like to see Xhaka based back inside, especially if he is going, if he has any chance of going with one of El Nenio Sabas, which I don't think it will be a thing. I would like to, I would, I would really like to see that because even if, you know, one thing I think we struggled is because you had Xhaka out there, Sabayos is clearly providing the width that Xhaka can't because Xhaka, one criticism is he's not that guy that's going to overlap as a fullback. So instantly you've got El Nene sinking in there and to be respectful to El Nene, you know, he clearly gets bonuses for playing sideways passes. So we're going to struggle there. So I'd like to see he learns from that mistake. So I would put Xhaka inside, but so far it's what we've known about Xhaka. He'll try to his best of ability to put in a shift that centre-half or left-back. I like him. And what one thing I haven't been impressed with, I don't know if it's down to Arteta or the players, we know things run through Xhaka and you can still see it kind of running through the left back. And again, the central midfield is where we're in problems. Lo and behold, you saw Saka, Smith, Rowe, Laka. They're all dropping deep against a well-engined unit that's fighting for their lives in Fulham. And it, it tells us what we, me and you have been saying on our channels, I'm sure, all season. We struggle against low blocks. You even go back to the Newcastle game when we turned it around in the second half. Everyone was applauding it. But it's because Steve Bruce said, you know what, we're going for this rather than sitting back. So it's more of the same. But Xhaka did what he could. You know, the best thing I give Xhaka and Arteta, we're not speaking about it. When you win, it's always the adaptability and the cojones of the manager. When you lose, we always say it's shoehorning. I do think it's, um, I won't say a kick in the teeth, but I think it's very telling that, you know, Cedric ain't got an opportunity out there again and whatnot. So it tells you probably Since where we're at. Game. Since yeah, exactly. the Slavia Prague game, yeah. Exactly, um, bro. Yeah, I don't know if it's a case of like, uh, because Cedric has put on some really good performances under Arteta and obviously a lot of people yeah. would, would would have liked to have seen him maybe start over Bellerin as kind of Arsenal's second choice right back at this stage of how poor Bellerin has has been for Arsenal this season on the whole mm. um, and, and the likelihood that he also is, is probably going to be going this summer. So... There's, there's issues there, but the, the biggest issue for me is is how we manage the players ahead of Thursday because arguably after the result against Fulham of, of dropping points, the, the league side of things is, is looking a hell of a lot more bleak than it was, even with other teams mm. like Chelsea today dropping more points. Um, that It's, it's un, unlikely beyond measure really that we get anything from this league season. So do you think there's that resting is needed or are you more on the side of the ship to say that momentum is what's important. Play the team that you're going to play on Thursday to build up the head of steam and, and kind of chemistry and synergy between them. How, what side of the kind of the line are you falling on? I'm on both, really. I, I hear both. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to sit on the fence. But yeah, no, but it's like, I can't really pick one, bro. It's because it's like, I'm a big fan of momentum. As much as I sit here and I say the league is gone, this, that and the other, I find it hard to accept that. I think there's always something to play for. Now, clearly there's not top four, but there's credibility. There are maybe, you know, we're playing the young players consistently. Some stuff that we can build on for next year. You know, Gabriel, I love him as a centre-half. Clearly he's raw. Can we use what's left to blood that out of him sort of thing? But at the same time, you know, I do understand the rest. I have a bit of concerns with the rest of Arteta because he's resting players and then bringing them on. Arguably, that could harm, harm them more when you're chasing a game, when you're cold and you're trying to adapt. And that's when you pull pull your leg, pull muscles and things. I would have liked to have seen in Thomas Partey and, and Pepe's case, if I can remember correctly, in the last game. I'm, I'm no manager, but surely you take them, you bring them on, they play an hour, hopefully everything's going the way it's supposed to go. Hour 70th minute, cool boys, come off and get your rest because this is, that's one thing I've seen with Arteta that he struggles with. Sometimes he's put players through the pain barrier like we saw against Spurs when we lost with Partey clearly not fit. Sometimes I think, you know, even Lacazette really, players were in the red. I get Arteta's in a difficult position because he probably can't afford to historically rest Lacazette. You know, we've been playing Saka since the moment we've been relying on Saka anyways, but the moment he came back, we've been relying on him. Granite Xhaka, one thing I give him is his durability. If he was a bit of a quote unquote, sorry for not sounding great here, but a weaker sort of individual, individual physically, we might be looking at that. 
I think it's all about momentum because winning breeds positivity. It breeds, you know, Arsenal are a funny bunch. We win a couple games, these players take it too much. We lose a couple games, they start doubting themselves. There's no medium. So as long as we can win games, why not? And, you know, beating Everton for us this season, that should be a big, big vote of confidence. And I want to see a strong team because we effed it up against them in the in the game at, the, at Goodison. We let ourselves down versus set pieces put it right and I normally find myself saying that in every game second game we've played this season so put it right play your strongest team again manage the squad well again we played on Sunday can't imagine there's been too much of a workload in the week so surely everyone's good to go beyond the obvious the Abamians, maybe Odegaard and obviously people mm. of that nature yeah, it's there is some big choices to be made, but as you say, if everyone's fit and ready to go, Erdogan, I think, is, is has been a bit of a big miss for us. I think Massive. not him specifically, but like the combination of him being able to play with Smith Rowe together, we've lost a little bit of fluidity in the front line and and needing kind of that interchange of movement as Smith Rowe's the emphasis has been on him at number 10 to be that creative force. And people forget, even though he's been good for us, he's still 20 years old and an incredibly raw player in, in a certain elements of his game that need to be refined. So right. We need Odegaard back. We need, obviously, whether it comes to some or someone else, him or anyone else to be brought in to give that additional support to Smith Rowe because we know himself injury-wise, he is not reliable. So there is more that needs to be done there. Uh, it's Ancel What have you made of Ancelotti and what he's done at Everton? Because they came in at the same time as each other, Arteta and Ancelotti. Ancelotti went down a very different route recruitment-wise. He brought in... Alan and Decore and James Rodriguez, players that he knew were going to have an immediate impact with their ages being their, their late 20s in yeah. their prime. He's brought in Ben Godfrey, who Graham yesterday on yesterday's show as an Everton fan was actually saying he's been his player of the season. He's been absolutely yeah. I amazing. I wanted him at Arsenal. I made yeah. a video. I said, we need to grab, grab this guy and it never happened. We needed to grab him. He's, he's rapid for, for a player that you you think about playing in the positions that he does and has been able to deputise in, in all of that backline. We could have so done with him this we, season. We could have done um, with him. Retail value too for a club that claims oh, they're self-financing. Yeah. Right, the jokes write themselves, bro. Yeah, yeah. If, I, I can I can guarantee you if we had brought him in, the uproar about him not being good enough would have been of classic. Course. You can't praise uh, us fans, man. Praise the fans. You know, there's always something to moan about. <laughs> <laughs> always. Fair play to us for getting this over the line, getting rid of the Super League. But come on, guys, a little bit more uh, humility uh, and uh, humbleness is, is needed sometimes. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, what do you make of Angelotti and what he's done since taking over there? And do you think he's done a, a better job in what I would describe as maybe a, a slightly easier job than Arteta has had to since taking over? Ooh, easier, that one day. Yeah. I, well, agree, I, I, agree I think that Arsenal is the hardest job in the Premier League, personally. It's, it's, my opinion is that it's, it's the hardest job. I, definitely I think can give you some background for that. If no, you no, like. I definitely <laughs> see where you're at because I agree with you for the simple fact of whether I agreed with what Emre wanted to do or not, Arteta the same. I can't, I can doubt how they're going about it, but I can't doubt their integrity. And I just felt, rightly or wrongly, it's an impossible job. No matter what they wanted to install tactically, you know, you know that it goes to the owner. So I agree with where, where you're with is that. I think him at, him at Everton, I'd say, you know, him, the players, there's probably been learning curves there's been times they've unnecessarily dropped points and I'll, I'll i'm wanting to see the real everton next year it shows him at everton shows why he didn't sign for arsenal you know i remember you mentioned the core i remember listening he said i actually didn't want the core the club suggested him so that tells me i don't mind the club signing players against the manager but that tells me they're signing players that are levels players of the mentality obviously he's helped them bring in hammers and all of those sort of things and carlo ancelotti's worth his weight in gold you're seeing you know, I'm not going to just give him credit because Calvert-Lewin's doing his thing and there's obviously the Duncan Ferguson factor, but how he's going from strength to strength. So I just feel it shows what happens when you bring in these managers and back them because Carlo, I'm sure if us, not saying he would have picked us ahead of Everton, but I'm sure if we called him, I'm sure he would listen. I'm sure he would agree terms. But when it gets down to the nuts and bolts of it and we get away from what Arsenal has been and whatnot and the money I'm getting, the squad I've got, why am I going to risk my reputation for this? You know, why am I going to like, because the fans are going to get onto me really and truly when it's, it's a fight, it's a losing battle. So I think he's, I think he's done fantastic at Everton. I think he polarizes what Everton have been around. They're working well consistently. They've obviously got a lot to work on. You know, they've got a lot of development to do. I'm sure they've not been perfect, but I can't, you know, it's, it's scary for us as Arsenal fans, because again, we're hoping it don't happen, but these West Ham's, these Everton's, these sort of clubs, they're, they're going to lapse Arsenal because of the mentality. And that's one thing that's pained me, whether we've played teams below us or played teams at the top of the table. It just seems like you can see what a club is about. The 11 represent the fans and whatnot, and we're divided. Some guys get it, some guys don't. So Ancelotti's doing what he's done in relation to Arteta. Now Arteta's probably been crippled 
in several industries as as, as great as he as, as bad as he has done and stuff that he has controlled like you know with with playing William at times unnecessarily a million crosses for people that are about five foot eight these sort of things are not making sense but at the same time he's crippled and it doesn't matter if it's an experienced man like Emre or Arteta it, it just shows the mentality Everton want to break in you know I'm sure on another day sorry Everton fans but I'm sure maybe your owners would have listened to that Super League thing on another day but they're moving serious and we're not and this is why we're at where we're at really yeah yeah it's, it's crazy spot on, mate. it is crazy it's it's an interesting one to see if it how it would have maybe played out if Angelotti had been brought in or a more experienced coach. I think a lot of people maybe took, put too much on the term experience as, as kind of a thing because, I mean, you can't say that Emery wasn't an experienced manager. This guy <laughs> won countless Europa League titles, have been to the top of the game with PSG, won there, could have easily beaten Barcelona if it wasn't for the biggest turnaround in footballing history in the Champions League. Like. Right. <laughs> And now he's doing a good job at Villarreal, where I think it actually really suits him. And I, I think people maybe use how good he's doing at Villarreal to, to say that our, people that want him out of Arsenal. Yeah, people are using the, the Villarreal kind of performances as as a stick to beat those that wanted him gone at Arsenal. But it suits him so much better. People, communication, <laughs> like, is so key. And him being able to actually put his ideas across those players so coherently and to that team and build it from the expectations that they've got in a league like La Liga, I think is perfect for him. And he showed that in Sevilla. He showed it at Valencia before that as well, even though he wasn't liked particularly by the Valencia fans during his time there. So it's, it is going to be for Arteta, as we've always kind of talked about, it's a longer-term project. Whether he survives enough time initially to see that project go through, we'll have to wait and see in this summer, for me, is is the turning point. It's the time where if we add players, it's pressure from day one on the next season. If we're sitting here in now eight months' time, just after Christmas, and we're sitting You're in running. ninth, tenth, you has to, yeah, you have to consider and say, look, this is not good enough. We're not Facts. progressing. Um, so I want to press you, mate, for a, a prediction for uh, the game no, on Friday. <laughs> so go into as much detail as you like or as little as you like, but how are you feeling regarding it and where are you ultimately standing on a final scoreline? Well, I'll be real. You know, we have improved in terms of set pieces and conceding them, but, you know, that's the stats. When I look at my eyes, we're still shaky at set pieces. I look at Everton, you know, with respect to them, I look at Everton and I think naturally, Calvert-Lewin hitting, put the, if, if it, Balls into the box. Richarlison, balls into the box. Even set pieces, Michael Keane and Yerry Mina, balls into the box like we saw in the Goodison Park game. I think there's so much we can learn from that game at Goodison Park. You know, as much as I like Pepe, switch on at set pieces. You know, game management, we're conceding just before half time. I think they're a, play, they're a team that's in a better spirit than us. They're a team that probably psychologically will react better if they go a goal down. Part of me, you know, I'm just maybe I'm living up to my name, deluded and things, but I'm just going to go with a 2 0 <laughs> Arsenal because I don't want my brain to have the answer. I want to go with my heart and I just feel with the week we've had, hopefully we could win it. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go, go with an Arsenal, a 2 0 Arsenal. If I was using my brain, I can't see anything other than a 3 1 for Everton. You know, I don't think they'll keep a clean sheet, but there's that. And like somebody said, holding in Marie against Richarlison and, and, and Calvert Lewin. Now, I haven't got anything against those players necessarily, but again, are they working all week with those threats in mind? You know, the midfield, the fullbacks, are you lot tucking in? Because, like I said, we haven't even got a look at Everton and what they're doing. We just got to look at the last game against Everton to learn where we went wrong. And are the players going to do that? I don't know. And the world wants us to lose, in it? And Arsenal buckle under pressure on the best today. So it might probably not be happy staling for us. But I hope on a Friday we turn up. Hopefully we grab a 2-0 win, man. Fingers crossed you're right, mate. And we Everything can <laughs> and see, obviously, yeah, and see some of the other teams around us drop drop even further points. This season's been unpredictable as hell. And uh, it seems that anything can go any which way, it, it seems. Um, I'd like to take a second to thank you, mate, uh, for your time. Uh, no this worries morning. Really appreciate guys. If you somehow have not heard or have not seen uh, DG's uh, talent, oh, it's, it's unreal. The work ethic is insane. Like, I don't, the production of videos is ridiculous. I'm only doing that. You did this to me. You patronized me like crazy when I sat on your show. So it's only fair that I returned the favor. To be fair, right? it's only fair. It's only fair. You, know, you make the bed, you got to lie in it and all. Okay, you go right. on to. DG's channel and it's just filled with with constant production of <laughs> chatting. It's unreal. I don't know how you do it, son. Um, 
Make sure you check out his stuff. His links are in the description. Of course, if you're watching this on playback, it's going to be in the title as well. Um, it's unbelievable. Now, how do you feel, mate? Is that is that the nicest you felt over the last week? It is the nicest <laughs> I felt, man. To be fair with you, with the week we've had, and it's only Wednesday. Why not, my guy? It's, it could definitely be a lot worse, man. It is nice to smile after, you know, what has been on a serious note, a weird one. Mm. And I'd say, while I thought, we all knew it was probably a bluff from the clubs. If you did think these clubs care about you, you know, the wall has to be removed from your eyes. These clubs just see you as coin. We can make a change as fans, but only if we do this together, man. So, yeah, man, we have to continue that. Oh, I'm going to dry my eyes a second because that was, you know, that was just so beautiful. <laughs> uh, we will see you uh, back tomorrow uh, for the preview of the game against Everton with some of the members as well. Make sure you give DG a follow at the Guna 04 on make sure Twitter. You hit the, make sure you hit the sub button to, Tom, to Tom's channel as well. Make sure you hit the like button, drive up the engagement. Come on, people. I'm sure not all of you have hit that like button. Do the right thing. 100%. Several hundred of you have been watching, so you've got no excuses now. You've been told by the man himself. Come so, on, uh, come on. <laughs> give it a like, give it a sub, give DG the appreciation as well in the chat Appreciate box. You can that. follow us at the Gunna Talk TV and at Tom Canton Media on Twitter. We're back tomorrow, as I say already. It's been a pleasure to speak to you, as always. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.